Welcome to the Game Changers podcast. We are your hosts, Associate Professor of Education and Enterprise, Philip Cummins, and prominent educational thought leader, Adriano De Prado. The Game Changers podcast aims to not only put a spotlight on the innovative ideas shaping the landscape of 21st century schooling, but to enter into a deep dialogue with those brave pioneers, the true game changers in education those individuals that don't wait for permission, leaders in education who are actually courageous enough to make real change in their learning community as they foster the growth of each young person in their care to ultimately thrive in this new world environment. These are their stories. You know, one of the interesting things about leadership is it operates on so many dimensions. There's a personal level, which is about yourself and the development of your capacities. There's an interpersonal level, which is about how you connect with the people around you, with family, with friends. And then there's your influence at a community level. And then finally, there's a level that transcends that where you can have an impact regionally, nationally, globally. Nathaniel Dion operates in his leadership on all of those levels. He connects through his words, he connects through his mind, he connects through his actions. He's an exceptional young Australian and we're so, I'm so excited that we get to talk to him today. I'm excited, I can't wait. Let's go. Before we start our conversation with today's Game Changers guest, Phil, can you share with our audience a little insight into our Series 8 sponsor? Edapt Education brings together all your student data into one platform. Improve the growth and well-being of all students in your school. Edapt is offering their learner profile and school data platform free for a term for the first time exclusive to you, our Game Changers listeners. Simply visit edapt.education forward slash Game Changers. That's edapt.education forward slash Game Changers. Let's go. Bill, it is so wonderful to be with you again uh, in Series 8 as we're coming closer and closer towards the end of the 2021 uh, year. Phil, how is the People's Democratic Republic of Fitzroy treating you today? Oh, I'm, I'm angry, Adriano. I'm not angry. happy? Quinoa not available? No, no, no. It's even worse than that. They've closed, no tofu available? Well, they've closed down our corner takeaway cocktails. Uh, and so now so you can't get to... cocktails and lentils? Well, what, 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 I've, I've, made up this, I've made up a cocktail. Let me give you the ingredients, Adriano. Yes, go ahead. I want you to, I want you to take one part rye whiskey. Mm-hmm. Ideally, the gospel, which is made in Brunswick. So, of course, it's a hipster, right? And then I want right. you to add to that one part of organic almond milk and then raw honey and then a splash of something else. Put it all in together. Shake it all up. Hey, presto, rye not. Rye not. Wow. wow. How long have you been working on that, Phil? Um, well, look, I've had to taste test for about two weeks now. And um, yeah. You know, it's a it's a it's a great thing to do on a lockdown weekend. I, I, I have a feeling, Phil. We're about to talk to one of the, uh, Australia's most prominent startup guys. I think he's just left after listening to that nonsense that you've just said. <laughs> anyway, right. let's get let's enough of this enough of this craziness yeah. that that we're hearing uh, from your rye not rye not uh, cocktail. I kind of think it's going to work. I think there's going to be a hipster out there that's going to be selling that with some risotto somewhere down the track. Yeah, some next level yeah. innovation right there. Next, there le- next level innovation. There it is. There, and, you've and, heard and, it first. And, and, and there's Elon and, Musk and then there's Phil Cummings. I mean, there you know, they're on par. 
There it is. And I was about to say, and slapping a $29 price tag on it as well, too, well, probably. That's the magic, that's the you see. That. That's the yeah, magic. There it is. All we have to do is sell the narrative about why not. Anyway, enough of this nonsense. Let's get to our very first guest here uh, today in terms of Nathaniel De Jong. I'm really excited to have you with us, mate. I'm going to jump to our very first question. It's a question that we ask all of our Game Changer guests, and that is, can you tell us a little bit about your story and how you've gotten to where you are today? For sure. There's a, <laughs> where do I start? It's a long story. I, I think for me, you know, growing up, I, I always wanted to make a difference and it was almost in my DNA. Um, I, I felt this really deep unrest and, and sadness around the problems that I saw in the world. Um, but as a shy, you know, 10-year-old kid at the time, I felt like I didn't have much to contribute. There was no skills that I had. Um, there's not really anything valuable that I could bring to the table. So I spent a lot of time just mulling over these problems and sort of being upset that I couldn't, you know, snap my fingers like Thanos and solve word poverty or, you know, solve sanitation problems. But I think, you know, that was, that was one part of my journey was having this sort of, um, I guess, moral compass that was really switched on very early on. And it sort of plagued me for many years. And I think the only time that really changed was when I got so sick of feeling this way that I decided to do something about it. And I decided to test those random shower ideas that you had. And I was like, what if we could, what if uh, we could bring in a hundred young people in one room and start to think of all the ideas and, and take these dreams and turn them into reality to solve the problems that we see in our world. So that's sort of where it started. But yeah, there's, there's a lot behind that in terms of like career and employment. And I guess the fear of graduating from high school without knowing where I'm going next. So I want to I want to dig a little bit deeper here, Nathaniel, and thank you for sharing part of the, your journey there. But let, let, I think we're just scratching the surface here, right? What is it about your formative years that motivated you to want to make a difference? Hmm. It's a really great question. I've I've had this question heaps of times. I feel like each time I say something different, mm-hmm. I feel like you know it, it's it's hard to sort of like boil the human condition down to a couple of elements, really. Like I would very much say that, you know, it, it has stuff to do with my upbringing around, you know, I was raised as a Christian and what a lot of the values there is around service and uh, loving others more than yourself. Um, but more than that, I think when I was very young, some of the family values that were instilled in me um, was just really serving with kindness and just being kind to whoever was around you. Um, and so I grew up with this mentality that if I could help, um, I should do so at whatever cost it takes. I, I would say there's a, there's a lot there in my childhood around, you know, what does a good human look like that sort of made me start to question things around the world um, and question where my place was in it. So this was part of part of your formation. This is this is the the the, the general practice in the Diong household was one of, of kindness and one that was deeply rooted in, in your faith. Uh, and that was so much part of your, your formation. You had the good fortune then of, I believe, going to Melbourne High uh, for your for your for your final final four years. Can you talk a little bit to our listeners what that learning experience was like in, in a school that, of course, has a, a, has a reputation of a select entry school where everyone cognitively is operating at a particular level? What was that learning experience like, and how did that relate to? your earlier formation in terms of your Christian faith? It, it was an interesting one for sure. Um, 
look, I think I think Melbourne High has a, a great reputation um, that it upholds ac- academically. Um, but growing up, I I didn't necessarily fit into that mold. Mm-hmm. Um, and so obviously I was academic enough to be able to get in and get my foot in the door. But what I started to find when I got there was there wasn't as much support for the students because the teachers were under the impression that if you're smart enough to get in, you're smart enough to do anything. So they didn't really have to carry you anywhere in the class or hold your hand. And so I think in those formative years, there was merit in that sort of system because it promoted this sort of sense of self-directed learning. Sure. Um, but in many ways, uh, it could be very difficult for some. And that was sort of my experience there. It was very difficult because I felt like there was no support. Sure. Um, in so that it system. sounds like, Nathaniel, there were some assumptions that the, the, the students at, at Melbourne High, because of their academic prowess and proficiency, were automatically people that understood self-regulation and understood what self-determined kind of approaches would look like. What, what struck me, though, was that, and thank you for sharing that kind of insight about your experience there, but you didn't just limit yourself then to the academic pursuits in your high school. You were someone that was really proactive about the rich co-curricular offerings that Melbourne High had. Uh, and you were actively participating everything from swimming to athletics to debating. Um, you know, I think there was band even in there as, as, as well. Um, what, what is it in Nathaniel's DNA that he's so curious and has such an appetite to want to continue to not only participate in life abundantly, but to contribute to it? For me, it's always been the question of why am I here? Like, what is my purpose in the grand scheme of things to support where I can? Uh, And I think it comes back to like what we touched on earlier about like what's almost been ingrained in me is this sense of, it's almost this global citizenship that as a human being, I have a responsibility to support where I can. And yes, I can't do everything and I can't solve all the world's problems, but the least that I can do is try. And so I think um, it's interesting because I was, you know, one of those kids which uh, teachers would look at and be like, he's disengaged in class. He's not switched on. He's, he's not being present. Um, but in reality, I, I was bubbling with all these ideas and curious thoughts and creativity, but I just didn't really have any avenue to express it. And I think the point where I started to realize that these were valid and these had merit um, was when I ended up creating Future Minds Network. And that was my avenue. And that was my safe space where academics didn't matter as much. It was also sort of my rebellious phase where in an environment where academics was priority, I no longer chose to walk along that path and define my self-worth in how well I performed academically. And so I found other avenues. And I was like, well, these are the things that I've been thinking about instead. And I've had this sort of uh, deep unrest for so long. So why not do something about these feelings and actually make meaningful change? So, so as a young that was man, the progression there. Right. Yeah. Okay. So as a young man, you, you, you were um, already giving yourself permission to kind of challenge the convention and the norm that was going on around you or the accepted norms at the time, right? Because you're in a school that had a for particular sure. yeah. expectation for you. But, but you ne- didn't necessarily feel a connectedness to that because you felt that your worth was more than a score. Yeah, for sure. And born from that was Future Minds Network. And as you just shared with us, it was kind of like part of this rebelliousness, you know. Mm. I kind of feel that we all need a little bit of a rebel in us every now and then to to really uh, awaken, you know, the passions inside. So you've taken this big step forward, 
you've entered into a space of an unknown for you and you've created uh, this network that's thriving right now that has provided you and the network enormous recognition uh, across, you know, our country. I mean, even to the point where, you know, you were a finalist in the Young Australian of the Year, which is a phenomenal achievement, by the way, and huge props to you, mate. I, you know, that's 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 an amazing feeling. I'm sure mum and dad are very sure. proud, very proud of that scenario <laughs> as well. Yeah, lots of lots of bragging rights at family dinners and cousins with cousins. But can you tell us a little bit now? Share with our listeners a little bit about what is the Future Minds Network. For sure, I think the simplest way to explain it is, you know, Future Minds Network is an ed tech startup, and we're inspiring the next gen of entrepreneurial talent. You know, in a, in a changing workforce, our programs have now enabled over 11,000 youth to build their own businesses and through that really gain confidence and explore emerging industries like startups um, to see what are the sort of skills that we'll actually need for the future of employment and how can we start practicing them now? So I think entrepreneurship has this like huge capacity uh, to really train young people to look towards the future because it's all about that experiential learning and learning by doing. If you don't, you can't really learn anything. And so, you know, when you experiment with a career like entrepreneurship, you're forced to learn everything from marketing to finance, and you're the one point of call for everything. And so you start learning all these skills from all these different perspectives and your whole world widens. So I've got one more question before I hand it over to Phil, because I know he's he's really keen to jump in here. The moment you said experiential learning, his whole face lit up his... It's like a kid in a candy shop. Listening to you share the motivation for its genesis and now the impact that it is having positively on the lives of so many young people. Perhaps share with our listeners then what you believe is then the purpose of learner agency and voice. Look, I think that there's merit in almost taking a step back and looking at the environments that we're brought up in and how that shapes us as human beings. You know, when we walk into to education systems like high schools and universities and any other institutions, we're, we're often told to walk in between the lines. We're told to fill in the blanks and there's a, there's a right answer and there's a wrong answer. And you know, even in, in the own, my own education environment, I was labeled as disengaged. And so I wasn't really able to own my true self. But when I was able to discover entrepreneurship, it's like, Suddenly, I had a place to put all of this creativity that was bursting from the seams. I realized that I had all these skills that I thought I didn't have. And really, the only difference was I didn't back myself. So I think, you know, entrepreneurship has this massive power to empower young people to realize that there's a whole world out there. And taking that back to sort of the importance of learner agency and voice, like, just because you're labeled as something, like even if you're labeled as a young person, that label doesn't actually change the influence that you can make on the world. And so when we start to implement these models where young people can really run with their ideas and take their creativity further, they learn so much more and they develop this love of learning that isn't just in academics, but translates to all aspects of life because they realize that, hey, like there's limitless potential here. And sure, in the classroom, I might be disengaged, but look at all the other things that I can do now that I have a framework of, of how to put my ideas into a box and take that further or put it outside of a box and take it further. Okay, Nathaniel, I've, I've been listening to this conversation as it's emerging 
between you and Adriana. And um, I want to draw on this just a little bit further. I want to just pull some things apart together. So, so bear with me for a moment as we do this. When I was doing my gifted education training back in the 1990s with um, Professor America Gross and the team at the University of New South Wales, one of the things that they always that they that really struck me about this work with, if you like, precocious young people, people who are ahead of their time, is that they think and feel differently to other human beings. So that little piece that you established around that you wanted to solve the problems of the world and you were deeply aware of your moral compass, mm. um, that's very, very characteristic of somebody in and around that. You might say that you were going through a rebellious phase. Another person might say, actually, you were finding your own voice and agency and you were learning how to express it within a system that doesn't cope well with people who are ready to do things at different times and for different reasons, and that you are seeing, you know, I alluded to in, in, our introdu- in my introduction that you, your leadership operates on so many different levels at the same time. So I want to talk to you about you here for, a few, for, for just a little while, and then I want to talk to you a little bit about the people that you work with. What are the conditions that allow you to be the best version of yourself? I'd say one of the biggest things for me is community. Being surrounded by people who truly value me as a human being rather than the labels that are placed on me. The simplest analogy I can give is it's almost like in this industry or when you're trying to make an impact, it's like you have to walk to, into a bar. Right. And at the bar, they check your ID for your age. And if you're, you're not at a certain age, you're not qualified enough or you're not informed enough to make any meaningful change. And so something that I've actually adopted sort of unconsciously was when I started to talk to people, I started to forget this thing about my age. I never mentioned it. And what I started realizing was people were more receptive to start talking to me. They looked at what I was saying, they looked at my perspectives and like, hey, this is really interesting. Um, And contrasting that to in my earlier days when I would introduce myself, say my age and and start to have that conversation, I would see people completely just leave the table entirely to look for other people to network with. I'd see them switch off. I'd see them go on their phones. And so, you know, I think the thing that's really helped me grow over the years is really finding that community that values the perspective that I can bring to the table no matter what, and knows that at the end of the day, where there's difference, there's value. Um, and so like as a young person, just because I'm a certain age doesn't mean I don't have experience. It means I have different experience, different lived experience and perspectives to bring to the table. So definitely that sense of community for me. Okay, so then who are your people? Who are the people who float your boat? Who are the people that allow you to be yourself? There are so many that come to mind. I, I'm really grateful that the social impact and startup ecosystem is just so supportive because at the end of the day, like it, it is really difficult to find your tribe and, and your community and people who genuinely care. Um, but like, I, I guess like names that come to mind, people like Sakshi Thakua and Sam Shlansky are these amazing human beings who, you know, from day one have really backed me to, um, and challenge my thoughts. And they don't look at this age as a barrier, but rather they see, all right, so where are you at at the moment? Where are your thoughts? And, you know, have you thought about this? And have you thought about this angle? And it's all about challenging perspectives rather than 
looking at it as, you know, what's your baseline of knowledge and how can we expand that before you do anything else? Um, it, it's really hard to explain for me, but it's almost like um, they see that inherent human value which can be developed and okay, can so, be shaped. So, so that's, uh, and I, I recognize you're saying it's very difficult, but you're used to doing difficult things. So I'm going to push you further on this because it's really important because I want you to imagine that there are thousands and thousands of educators out there listening to this, which there are, and we want to teach them how to recognize people like you. So what are the characteristics of people in your space? What are the characteristics of um, people who see possibility where there isn't, where, where others don't, who, who don't want to walk between the lines? And age is irrelevant, man. As, like, my, uh, do, do you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 52, right? I don't know how old, you, how old you are. I'm not particularly interested. But at 52, I feel self-conscious about being old in this space, not even young around there so it's yeah. it's like you know what so you those, should feel yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are the what are the what are the characteristics of of um somebody who sees the future and goes and gets it when other people don't honestly i i feel like it's a lot of the characteristics that we look down upon in classrooms and it's it's the students who are willing to challenge things the students who disrupt the class by asking why. Why does it have to be this way? Why are we studying this? Why are we learning this? Because what that really is showing is this sense of inquisitiveness and this willingness to challenge what we know. Um, and the simplest way that I think about it is you, you might have heard of like single loop learning and double loop learning, right? Which is like popularized by Ardris in, in 1991 or something like that. Whereas, you know, single loop learning is this this thinking from within. So it's like, how can we break down all of the existing knowledge that we know and order that information? Whereas double loop learning is really about thinking beyond. And how can we like question these assumptions and see it from another view? And a lot of these students that we, I guess, uh, label as disruptive are sometimes thinking beyond and are questioning, why do we have to learn these things? Why are there assumptions around these? Um, and it's those students who are pushing the boundaries in in unruly or disruptive ways that have that creative potential that's just untapped. Um, and so I almost think that there's, there's a power in language as well in, in how that we label students as disruptive or disengaged. If we flip that, we can see, well, actually they might be the ones who are having challenging perspectives and they're being creative and they're being inquisitive. And there's so much positive to that that we aren't seeing right now. Okay, one more question for you before I hand back to Adriana. When you're doing work, with people, and obviously you're doing work with people through the Future Minds Network in a systemic fashion. And it's fabulous work, brilliant work that you're doing there. It's exactly the sort of thing that's going to um, uh, empower those students who feel marginalised because they think and feel differently and they, they operate in a different way and the system, they feel as though the system doesn't quite fit them and they feel as though they're constrained and they're you know, their, their eyes, their ideas aren't being valued. So in other words, you're creating a system that values them and brings value to them and increases their value, all right? There are relationships that you have of character apprenticeship when you are working with people on a more intimate level. Tell me about how those relationships work and tell me about how you bring out the best in others. And we've already learned about what, what creates the best version of you. How do you help to create the best version of other entrepreneurs because you know 
think of this as a, as a job interview. I might need you as my coach, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think for me, one of the things that I like to do is always looking at what we have to work with. Because one of the biggest things that I find, particularly in the education system, is that we have all of these concepts. So we know about things like critical thinking and negotiation, and they're all part of our curriculum. But when you ask a young person how they can build critical thinking, most of the time they'll have no idea. They'll have no clue. The only time they'll see that is on a, on a criteria page. And so a lot of the times young people and all people have all of these skills that they've been practicing, but they just haven't been able to identify them. And they don't know that they exist and they don't know how to continue building them. And it's almost like when you look at a, like a, a game, right? If you're trying to build a character, you can add points to attack and uh, you can add points to defense and HP and things like that. But if people don't even know that you can add these points to each of these elements, there's no way for them to grow. They'll just be adding randomly. And the direction that they'll be moving, they might end up building a character that has 2,000 HP and no attack. And so they won't be able to move forward if what they want to do is to kill as many monsters as possible, for example. And so I think one of the biggest things that I do is really sit down and try to really break down what are their existing assumptions of who they are as a human being and how can these assumptions be dangerous and how can these assumptions be helpful? working with what they have and helping them to acknowledge these are the skills that I have and these are potentially some of the barriers, the mindsets that are holding me back and how I can take that further. So it's really about, yeah, coming back to square one of like who am I as a person and what can I offer? So once you have um, worked with these individuals, even particularly by your role as a giant in residence at Blackbird, for instance, you know, supporting mm -hmm. people in, in, in being a mentor for them, um, once you have really seen what their inherent talents are because that's what i'm hearing you say right really scratching it beyond the surface and really understanding deeply uh what what makes that person uniquely them and what gifts they have to share and obviously ultimately what's their why you For know sure, yeah. in, in all of this we then move to the piece of helping them start to develop some form of a brand you know, in, in, in them being comfortable with that. And I don't mean a brand in just from a, mark, a pure marketing point of view or sales point of view, but for them to be able to take their why and authentically place it in the marketplace to say, this is ultimately who I am and inviting mm. people into that space to, to, to share, in, you know, in, in those talents and gifts. What about then, what does, what does an avatar of a, of, a, of a game character then look like in building a personal brand? It's really dependent on all those factors. It's like, what do you know to be true about the elements that you have? Do you know all of the skills that you can develop? Like, if, if you were to step back, is there like a roadmap of, all right, if I go down this pathway, I can build skill set A. And if I go down this pathway, I can build skill set B. Because if we skip that identification process and we can't even see any aspect of the roadmap, then it will always be shooting in the dark. Um, and so I think that the, the concept of the avatar character is being able to um, really understand before you make any decisions of where I'm going to invest my points, whether I'm going to put it in HP or attack, like what is the roadmap um, and what do I have to work with in the first place before I start putting my time and energy into those things? And so I guess like a more concrete example might be like, 
the only way for you to actually do that is to experience a whole bunch of different skills to understand what are your strengths and weaknesses. It's like picking up a new hobby. You won't know that you love that hobby until you try a bunch of different things and you stumble upon one that you enjoy. So it's a similar concept there. So, so we've, we've moved from, from the piece of my why and my self-discovery and, and identity. We've now moved to the piece of what is my desired outcome in terms of some destinations, a bit of a roadmap. It's probably more around a North Star, you know, that directional kind of uh, uh, look. But I want to keep the gamification analogy going here a little bit, uh, Nathaniel. And that is in your role then as a mentor, you've, nav- you've helped that individual navigate those type of spaces. You've given them permission to step into those spaces. How then do you help them to level up? It's around priorities is the big thing. It's, it's the same reason why you hire a consultant, right? You hire like a lot of organizations, they know what they want to do and they know that they have a lot of different priorities. They have this task to do and they have that task to do. But one thing that's really difficult, even if they know the direction and they have a set goal, is being able to set aside everything else and all the other white noise and prioritize that one thing that they really want to go out and get and accomplish that well. And so I think in the same length and sort of like wavelength there, one of my biggest roles is almost helping that person to refocus and understanding that, hey, okay, we have all of these strengths and these are the ones that you want to focus on. What are your priorities? Often when I ask that question, that's when this whole floodgate opens and they said, oh, these are all of my priorities, but they don't align with those particular strengths that they want to build. And so then we have to step back and be like, well, this is what you want to build. So how can we get there? And so it's always about that reprioritization. And it's almost like, you sometimes need somebody else to be able to see that bigger picture to bring you back to that path and say, okay, let's continue building on these things and reprioritize those first before you look at all the white noise. So, so giving these individuals a, a, an opportunity to, to continue to kind of clarify where they're at and, and keeping them aligned to ultimately who they are and then helping them level up through iteration after iteration, but making sure that it's always linked to their priorities going forward. That's what I'm hearing, you know, you share with with our listeners. It's about focus. I think focus is one of the biggest challenges for any startup or any organization starting out because you have to do everything. And it feels like the the world will end if you don't do all, if you don't do the marketing in time and you don't juggle the finance in time and you don't do the hiring in time. It's like you have all these conflicting priorities, but at the end of the day, you have to focus on a few things first because if you don't, then you won't get anywhere. If you have like three one-hour lectures and you try to do half an hour of each rather than just sitting down and doing one-hour lecture, finishing that off and then doing the rest. So, I mean, it's it's like, where do you put your focus and how do you work best is really what it comes down to. Nathaniel, I'm really appreciating the way in which you are allowing us to sort of dig beneath the stuff that's on the surface and, and, and get to the heart. Of, of, of who you are and how you do things. Uh, you talk about priorities and focus. Uh, are these things that have always come to you naturally or have you had to learn how to do these things along the way? Not at all. Um, I think I am probably one of the worst people to talk to about focus. Um, and I think that's what has helped me be such a help to other people now is because I've struggled with focus so much that I realise how dangerous that it can be if not monitored correctly and managed correctly. 
I think it's almost like when you first jump into a space, right? When, for example, your first, when you do your first job, one of the first things that you want to do is you want to try everything, right? You want to learn all these different skills. You want to do all these different tasks. You want to meet a whole ton of new people, right? Because you're starting from a base of, of nothing. And so you want to be able to expose yourself to as much as possible. When you're 10, 15, 20 years down the track and you have 20 years experience, that's the point where you start to think about, okay, so what are all the skills and strengths and the networks that I've gathered along the way? And how can I focus on continuing to build myself and level up in those areas? And what you might find is you might, you know, have a new specialization that you want to go under, or you want to focus on one particular activity that you're really great at. So you might be, you know, in a more broader communication sense, you might decide that you're really focused on social media marketing, and that could be your niche. And so I think in the same way, um, that level of focus really helps. But you have to start with exposing yourself to all these opportunities before you can have that focus. And so that was sort of in line with my own journey as well. Because I started from nowhere, I tried everything I could until I got to the point where I was like, I'm at capacity. I've experienced what I want to experience now. Now is the time that I have to dig deep and focus on one thing in particular. And so where I landed was that education and employment space. I want to, I want to now just explore this, this space of journey. And I want to explore it, Nathaniel, less around knowledge and skills and that, that practical application uh, that, that's in the entrepreneurial educational world and an entrepreneurial world period, but more around your, your attitudes, your attributes, your dispositions and character side of things. The stuff, the kind of non-cognitive kind of development stuff, right? The stuff that often schools find really, really difficult to measure, but it's the stuff that really matters. Along your particular journey, what did you discover about yourself that you didn't expect to discover? There's a lot there. I think one of the biggest things that I discovered was my sense of creativity. It's one of the, one of the biggest markers of my identity, and I would have mentioned it multiple times throughout this short conversation. Because I think just as much as you know, schools or society puts labels on things, we also put labels on ourselves. Absolutely. And so these labels can make us feel like we're only good for a certain thing and we're only able to learn certain skills. Um, and so for me, one of the most surprising things was realizing that, you know, part of my personality was really being able to harness that creativity. And that's where I was the happiest. Um, and when I started realizing this, um, what I thought was disruptive behaviors or being distracted in class or all these negative things became positive things. Because I realized that if I set aside some intentional time to be creative, I could almost like quieten those thoughts and be able to put more focus on other things when I wasn't being creative. So yeah, I think that was one of the biggest things was realizing that although I have all of these artificial labels on me, I can challenge them whenever I want. And I can, I think that's, that, that's the beauty of the human condition is that we're, we're not stagnant. And we're always able to reshape and grow and learn from different angles. So we're not just one conglomerate. We can always be shaped into different forms and, and learn in different ways. So when, when um, you're all in your head, when Nathaniel's all in his head and uh, the narrative that he's, he's sharing is, is, uh, is constantly evolving, because I love that point you make. I mean, the, the bottom line is the stories that we tell ourselves are true, right? We, we allow ourselves to get caught up in that. What do you do now? in terms of your own mental models and modes and practice 
to ensure that you don't retreat into mental models about yourself that were, were that are counterproductive, that don't serve you well, but really into the space that continues to lift you up and forward. Less deficit, more aspiration. Yeah. I think the big thing there is I, I very intentionally put myself in spaces where I challenge myself. And that comes back to that community piece again. Um, I surround myself with people who constantly, you know, they see me from a human value perspective and they're not afraid to call me out on certain things and they're not afraid to challenge my ideas. And I think that's where growth happens the most is when, you know, coming back to that single and double loop learning model, when we start looking at the double loop learning and, and thinking about how can we think beyond, how can we challenge you know, constantly challenge the assumptions that I have about my own identity and see it from different perspectives, how other people see me, how uh, I can provide value through different strengths that I didn't know I even had um, and being able to be really receptive to all of these things. Nathaniel, I want to ask you a couple of questions now, if I can. Um, they're, they're sort of based on the premise of a lot of our research, which says that if you help someone build a sense of belonging, they're more likely to achieve their potential and, and explore what is possible. And if they, if they feel as though they belong and they're doing what they need to to achieve their potential and explore what's possible, they're more likely to do good and right in the world. And it's a whole theory around the, the development of a human being and, and, and their character, both in wrestling individually with, with their sense of purpose and also bearing, the, bearing the, the expectations of those around them. How can we help learners and particularly learners who want to go and do the sorts of things that you're doing with your life feel as though they belong in a learning community? It's really tough. Um, it's something that we work on as well at Future Minds is, is building that sense of community that has that love of learning. But I think the biggest thing that it comes down to is the sense of psychological safety um, and, and knowing that this is an environment where when you're challenged, uh, people are not there to judge you they're there to share their side of the perspective. So a lot of what we teach is around like almost seeing your idea is a rock, right? A, a lot of people, when they have an idea, they, it's normal to like hold it as your baby. I know when I first started, I was like, oh, future minds is everything. It's almost a part of me. So when people commented on that, I was distraught. I was like, well, like, how could you hate me? How could you like say all these negative things? And so one of the things that we teach is an idea is a rock. When someone is uh, challenging you on a certain thing, they're not taking the rock and chucking it across the lake. What they're doing is they're looking at that rock from a different perspective. They're seeing the different crevices. They're seeing the different, um, I guess, scratches on that rock and they're describing it to you. And so once you are able to sort of open up your mind to that, rather than looking at it as a judgment perspective and looking at it as a description perspective, um, there's so much more that you can start to learn um, and you're able to challenge yourselves to think about, all right, well, this is how I think and these are my assumptions. How can I learn from another person's assumptions or another person's thoughts and continue building on that and that concept of levelling up and taking those perspectives further? Okay, so thank you. That's very, very helpful in, in sort of thinking through how you can create that safe space and, and um, my design art teacher colleague here is always talking about psychological safety um, and there's uh, great research I think from I think it's from PwC or McKinsey around around that that sort of thing that's been done in the workplace too um, 
let's assume that we've got a place for psychological safety where people feel as though that they can be the best version of themselves or as close to the best version of themselves as they're willing to share in a public forum. How can we then help them to identify and claim their own purpose and put it into practice? That's a great question. I think one of the aspects that builds into that is the sense of vulnerability. I think the biggest thing is, you know, we touched on a little bit sort of that non-judgmental space, but it's also about being able to lead with purpose and show that uh, we're able to open up about the things that, you know, we're not perfect on. We're able to open up on the things that we're learning from. And I think in that same vein, when we're able to see these role models who failed and we're able to see these role models who own up to the things that they're working on, more young people can start to own their own purpose because they're seeing these good mental models of how do people really efficiently learn? And the way that they learn is by opening up with vulnerability and being able to own up to mistakes or own up to areas of growth where they know they need a lot to work on and they're not quite there yet. And so when we start to promote that sort of culture, young people have more courage to step up because they realize that everyone's not perfect and that's totally okay. And so I have total permission to step up, not know exactly what I'm doing, but have a red hot go at it. Thank you for that, that identification of vulnerability. And thank you for the way in which you're being very vulnerable in this conversation as well, too, because these, these are not easy questions to answer. Um, and, and you kind of have to choose, don't you? Am I, am I really going to open myself up and reveal what's inside me or am I going to give some surface answer? And you're not doing that at all. You, you're really getting to the core of it. How frequently have you come across um, workspaces that are genuinely psychologically safe and which, which allow this sort of vulnerability. Because what you're describing to me, I've, I've got to be honest and say there are very, very few spaces that I've come across mm. in a professional context that are genuinely like that. Not many. And it's sort of sad to say because I, I think even in some of the schools that we work with, there needs to be more work done to make sure that young people feel that there's a safe space where they can actually learn. And where, you know, the reason why this love of learning has almost been quenched is, or crushed, sorry, is because learning is almost defined by how well you do something in. And so how can you love something if you're not good at it? And that's a question that I had for so long. If I'm not good at maths, how can I love maths? How can I go further and learn more about the maths that I'm not learning in the classroom if I'm not good at it? And it's because we're almost conditioned to see F, that failure grade, as the worst thing that can happen in the world. Um, and so, like, the answer to your question is there's, there's not many workspaces out there. There's not many schools. There's not many systems out there that really encourage that sense of vulnerability because we live in a society which prioritizes productivity and efficiency and doing well and doing bad and failure is frowned upon. And so I think that's one of the biggest lessons that we come to in entrepreneurship is failure is, is almost the opposite. Fail, failure is so glorified in the entrepreneurship space. Um, and you have things in Melbourne like screw up nights where they talk about these failures because we realize that failure is such an important part of growth. It's interesting uh, listening to you, Nathaniel, share with us your insights there around psychological safety and, and the volume of workplaces that perhaps haven't truly understood what that means for the people that they continue to serve and work alongside of and, the, and those who work in their organisations. Because in the absence of an inclusion piece, 
which is the first start of any kind of psychological safety, which is kind of inclusion agency or inclusion um, safety. They think they give their employees agency, but unless that employer feels that they have a deep sense of belonging, that they're seen or valued, they're not going to step into that agency in, in, in a way that's going to be really impactful going forward and then get them to move to the challenger and contributor kind of safety space, you know, where they can make a difference. What's also interesting listening to you is I, I love how you're able to articulate the brokenness parts of our education system and a system that still mirrors so much of society around the productivity side of things where scores seem to be all that matters. And that's mm. what we measure. Yet what I'm hearing Nathaniel say is that part of his purpose in life is to focus on not scores, but significance and how to become increasingly more and more significant in terms of our why and our contribution to the community. I had the good fortune in 2010, Nathaniel, to, to go visit uh, Guatemala City. And I did some volunteer work there at, at, a, at a Marist school. And opposite this particular school was the head of the gang's headquarters. Mm. And you can appreciate uh, Guatemala City is one of the murder capitals of the world. Uh, what I thought was festivals at nights and fireworks were actually gunshots every single night. And it was a harrowing experience to be able to sit there and witness that. But through all that kind of brokenness and drudgery, there was hope, mm. enormous hope. There were, there were adults in the lives of young people attempting to transform their lives and give them the necessary resourceful toolkit to navigate through that challenge and the, the attraction and the seduction of, of, of the gang life into a life of, that had more meaning in terms of a positive impact on society. Mm. And one of the things that was engraved alongside of a children's playground was translated to English and that and it said that everything that we do in life has an echo in eternity. I'm interested, my final question to you, my friend, is what legacy do you want to leave behind? That's a great question. Um, and again, it's one of those questions where I feel like every single time someone asks me, I have a different answer. And it comes back to that sense of, you know, me seeing myself as not one stagnant in the universe, but something that's constantly changing. And I think one of the legacies I really want to leave is to be able to help young people realize that they can take control of their own futures. And that, yes, you know, the employment prospects might suck. And yes, the skills that we're being taught in schools, it feels like we're not learning anything. It feels like it's really scary to go out there and work and graduate uni and three-year degree and have no idea where to go next. And those are all perfectly valid feelings but also realizing that we as young people have, you know, this enormous value and perspective that we can bring to the table because where there is difference, there is value. And so what, that's one of the biggest legacies I want to leave is to just help young people realize the potential that they have because it's all in there. It's all inside. It just, we just have to tap into it. You know, Adriano, as, as the three of us are gathered in different parts of Wurundjeri country today, I'm just, I'm, I've been blown away by the sincerity, by the by the by the depth of moral introspection, by the considered manner which um, Nathaniel has looked into himself and shared of himself in such a fine fashion today. It's a real privilege, Nathaniel, to have had this sort of conversation with you today. Um, I think sometimes people imagine that with all of the sort of stuff that you're doing, it's all about the sizzle, it's all about the pizzazz, it's all about the front, but actually 
there's a very be, behind all of that. There are very, very uh, considerable and substantive human beings who are wrestling with very important matters and trying to to be good people and future builders, to be continuous learners and unlearners, to be solution architects, responsible citizens, and team creators, and then just live a life as as well too. So, I, I'm uh, on behalf of the Game Changers podcast. We're we're we're, we're we're very grateful for you sharing time with us today, Nathaniel. Um, we, we, we have no doubt that whatever it is that you're going to be doing in your future, you will bring that same uh, depth of character um, and same stewardship for people and place and planet that you've demonstrated hitherto. So thank you. No, thanks for having me. Really appreciated this conversation. It was great. Game Changers is a podcast for those who want to change the game of school. Produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions and powered by a school for tomorrow, Game Changers is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play and SoundCloud. Tell your friends and don't forget to subscribe. Let's go.